Dear friends, we're in the midweeks again, and we're going to continue the sad saga of Saul's descent into sin and madness. And we're in chapter 20 of 1 Samuel, and what we're going to see in this chapter is that David is going to be rescued by Jonathan, and Jonathan is going to even more definitively align himself with David as the future king and as God's chosen And what's going to happen is this is going to cost Jonathan some more relationship with his dad. Saul's even going to reject Jonathan in his madness. And so it's a bit of a character study because we're seeing how Saul's unbelief is something he doesn't have control over. And the more he hates David, the more it grows who he hates. And it's going to get even worse in the next chapter. But we're also going to see that as Jonathan and David stay in faith in the Lord, they become tighter and tighter brothers together and make these covenants and protect each other. And so you see the faith of God's people uniting them, and you see the unbelief of God's people or unbelief in people dividing them, which is how things work. Faith binds the faithful together. Unbelief tears everything apart. But let's see this working through Jonathan serving David and this ruse around a dinner plot. Now, you remember from the last chapter, David is on the run. He's fled. Um, His wife, Michal, helped hide him. The Spirit of God stopped Saul from getting his hands on David by making the messengers and then Saul himself prophesy. Now David is hiding and he's going to connect with Jonathan. Verse 1 of chapter 20. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? They can hear the intensity of David where he has these three questions in a row. What have I done? What is my guilt? What is my sin? So he's very emotionally uh, invested in this. He's got strong emotions running here. And David... Verse 2, and Jonathan says to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. Why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. And we know from last chapter that Saul did talk to Jonathan about wanting to kill David. So Jonathan's saying, I got your back. Nothing's going to happen because I'm going to stop it. I'll know before anything happens and I'll stop it, like it did in the last chapter. But David vowed again and said, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes, and he thinks do not let Jonathan know this, lest he is grieved. But truly as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. And so David is right. I don't know what the vow is, but he's saying that this is the truth. Your dad is going to hide this from you because he doesn't want you to be grieved or stop him, I'm sure. But David's right. He's, He's on the verge of death all the time. Excuse me. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. So he says, okay, I yield. What's the plan? David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow's the new moon, and I shall not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in a field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. And if he says, good... It will be well with your servant, but if he's angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. 
If there is any guilt in me, kill me yourself. For why should I, should you bring me to your father? So David's got this plan. He knows that Jonathan doesn't quite get yet how serious things are for him. This is what they're talking about. And so he says, here is an opportunity for you to see for yourself what's in your father's heart. There's this corporate meeting. <laughs> There's this monthly new moon dinner with the king that we all of us generals need to be at all these military leaders we need to be at i'm not going to come i'm going to hide out and when your dad asks where i am you tell him that you gave me permission to go somewhere else and if he's fine with that then everything's fine but if he's angry you know that your dad has hidden from you his plan to kill me so that you can see how bad it is for me this is the plan Jonathan said, far be it from me, if I knew what, that it was determined by my father to har that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? So he says, I'm not going to kill you. There's no plan. Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers so you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out to the field. So they both went out to the field. So here's the next phase of the plan. It's not enough for um, Jonathan to find out the truth because Jonathan needs to tell David the truth and there's a good reason to suspect that if Saul is mad at Jonathan then Jonathan either himself might get killed or Jonathan might get spied on so they need to find a way to communicate what's happening here verse 12 and Jonathan said to David the Lord the God of Israel be witness when I have found sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day behold if he is well disposed towards David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. So press pause there. So he's making this promise that it will be communicated. If everything's fine, David can send any, or Jonathan can send anyone to David to go and tell him everything's fine because there won't be any danger. But if there is a problem, Jonathan's going to find a way to tell him, and this is what the plan is. But he's blessing him, saying, um, may the Lord be with you as he's been with my father. So he, Jonathan knows that God was with Saul for a time, and he knows that David is going to take over the kingly anointing and he wishes that that would happen. Verse 14, If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So this is Jonathan's faith, faith that David is the anointed king, and because of that, God is with him for victory. And he foresees the day, because of the conflict he sees now, where David is going to have the supremacy, and usually what kings do is they destroy all the household of the previous king because they know if there's going to be a threat or a division that it's going to most likely nine times out of ten come from family members of the previous king who have a quote-unquote claim to the throne. And so Jonathan is saying, I want to, I'm expecting the Lord to show you steadfast love. Now may you please remember my house and not cut us off as when God decides to cut off all of your enemies. So he's thinking about posterity. And just think about the faith there. He's not looking to his own strength. Oh, my house can take care of myself or I'll be your right-hand man. He's not even expecting necessarily that he'll live. But he expects David to live because God's with him. And so he asks David for this mercy. When David's anointed, when he's exalted, have mercy on my household. 
And of course, this is fulfilled later on, especially with Mephibosheth. Verse 16, And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So Jonathan is making this covenant based on David going to succeed as king, which is amazing because Jonathan should be the king. Jonathan is the next in line after Saul. He's the eldest son. He's a great warrior and a man of faith. He should be king. But God has told Saul that he wouldn't be king, that his kingdom wouldn't endure, that it was just going to be a one-man kingdom. And Jonathan doesn't know how exactly this is going to work out. It sounds like he expects that he's he needs to die in order for David to become king. And so he's not planning on living through this, but he is expecting David to be vindicated by the Lord's wrath and wants David to remember his household when that event happens. And it's all happening because of love. So just look at the character of Jonathan. Look at his faith in God's promises, in God's holiness, and how he wants to set up his household's future in the best way possible while acknowledging that David's house is going to be greater than his house. He's a real man of faith. It's just amazing. Verse 18, then Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is the new moon and you'll be missed because your seat is empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I'll send the boy saying, go find the arrows. And if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them. Then you are to come for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you. There's no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you. Then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So this is the way of communicating to David. He's being a spy. He's thinking. He's setting up this situation where he can shout commands at the arrow-retrieving boy loud enough for David to hear from his hiding place. And David will be able to hear what uh, Jonathan is communicating to David in a way where nobody who's looking at it will be able to guess that David is there. So they're being duplicitous uh, because of Saul's wrath and position. They've been kind of driven to what we might call dishonesty, but it's actually hidden communication in order to s save David's life from sin. And also, you know, the arrow boy won't be brought into some kind of secrecy that he might get punished for at some time later. Verse 24, so David hid himself in the field. When the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat at his seat, as at the other times, and the seat by the wall. And Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. So we have this scene change. They're not having their conversation anymore. They've now gone to the dinner party, and all the generals are there. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened. He's not clean. Surely he's not clean. So here's Saul. He's so obsessed. He wants to kill David now. He has to talk him through patience, talk himself through being patient when David isn't there. But on the second day, the day of the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Now here, David's trap springs. Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I've found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. So 
Jonathan um, says exactly what David told him to say. And now you, these wise words reveal Saul's heart. There's a proverb that David's son Solomon coined. I think it goes something like, a man's heart is deep waters, yet a man of wisdom will draw it out. And so David has thought about this situation that will draw out from Saul, who's trying to be secretive, trying to be um, subtle in order to kill David secretly. Um, David's thought of a situation to draw out his heart. And here, ba-ching, like a, the, Saul goes for the cheese and the trap is sprung. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you or your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Now, Saul isn't stupid. He, his anger gets him. He explodes here. And he gets what's going on. When Jonathan delivers this message, he understands that Jonathan is in on it. He... He's not stupid and he's not tricked. He understands that he's trying to be tricked, but he totally gets it, which is sad. Like, he's not dumb. He's just evil. And so he attacks Jonathan um, to his own shame. The shame of his mother's nakedness essentially means, like, I regret ever conceiving you. And then he goes after him. He says, can't you, can't you be, you, you have to know that you're losing the kingdom as long as David's alive. And Saul can't think past the motivation of protecting his own kingdom. That's why Saul is going after David. He thinks he needs to protect his own kingship. And he that's why he's so offended at Jonathan. He thinks Jonathan needs to be protecting his own kingdom, not thinking about the Lord. Even though the Lord's told Saul that this isn't going to happen, Jonathan's not going to be king, Saul still wants to kill David to try to make it happen. Verse 32, then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should I be put to death? What has he done? Or why should he be put to death? What has he done? So again, appealing to God's righteousness, but Saul hurled the spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. Aha. So remember at the beginning of this chapter, Jonathan's like, no, nothing will happen unless I know about it. Now Jonathan understands that David was 100% right. It went exactly as David said. The situation is exactly as David said. And so Jonathan knows that Saul has gone crazy for murder. Verse 34, And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. So I'm not sure who's disgraced. Is it David? Probably. Um, so let's finish off this chapter. In the morning, Jonathan went into the field to the appointed appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to the boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. And as the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. This is not good arrow safety, by the way. People always have to stand behind the arrow shooters. When the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick and do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master, but the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter, and Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy was gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. Then they kissed one another and wept on one another, and David weeping the most. And then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be 
be between me and you and between your offspring and my offspring forever. And he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. So again, they fulfill this plan. It's all, you know, David and Jonathan are both super smart guys. They, they, they unfortunately were absolutely right. And Jonathan fulfills this part of communicating to David um, through the arrow business. And obviously Jonathan has decided that he isn't being followed and now they're alone. Um, they got out arrow shooting under the sky so that no one followed them, sent the arrow boy back so that David and Jonathan had time to see each other. And they both grieve knowing that this is the last time they'll ever be together as like military leaders. David has to go on the run. I do think they catch up with each other at least one more time after this, but they're grieving that something is dead now. David will never be Jonathan's brother-in-law on the battlefield again. They're no longer on team Israel together. Um, they will connect together one more time, but something's died here. And so Jonathan says, let's remember this covenant. Our children are bound together, that you will be peaceful towards my children. And David will remember this covenant later, it's a, but it's just this sign. And you know, you often ask, why are these things remembered? And perhaps these things are remembered so that in Israel, they wouldn't have unending warfare between Saul and David. Uh, you know, Shimei tried to remember that. He's throwing the rocks and all that stuff. But Jonathan's house was meant to be at peace with David's house. And David's house was meant to be at peace with Jonathan's house. And it's the sign that David was not a murderous troublemaker. He even, he avoided killing Saul. And he's going to do that again as we read. And he made a covenant of peace with Jonathan. And Jonathan's own testimony was in support of God's work in the line of David. And so these things needed to be remembered for God's people. All right, that's a long one. Thanks for bearing with me. Um, I hope you're seeing more into how these stories are working and why God is revealing these things. Sometimes you can wonder why this stuff is even in the Bible. But this is what actually happened. And we're finding out more and more that David and Jonathan are godly men who avoid a fight and honor Saul, even though Saul doesn't deserve it, and make covenants with each other of brotherly faithfulness. And because of their faith expressed through faithfulness to each other, God is with both of them to reveal their good character and honor them in his word. Be blessed. <laughs>